Welcome to the Bruce Siski Show. Follow the Bruce Siski Show on Twitter to interact anytime. Got something on your mind? You can text Bruce during the show by using the short code 84454. You're listening to the Bruce Siski Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. 1013, it's Thursday, 27th day of July, 2023. Bruce Siski Show on KDAL. Lots to get to here in the next hour or so. We'll keep checking that forecast with Peter Kivikowskis. But uh, joining us top to uh, start the show, we've been doing just talking off the air trying to figure out how long we've been doing this bit because this magazine's existed for 25 years now. Uh, and I've bought it, I'll bet you, pretty much every one of those 25 years. But uh, we've had him on the radio a bunch of times, probably going on 20 or so. The man behind Phil Steele's college football yearbook, the 2023 edition, available now at Barnes & Noble. Phil Steele, good morning. Hey, good morning, Bruce. Always good to hear your voice, my friend. It is likewise, because it means football is on the way, and I know this is one of your favorite times of the year because you get to do all these radio shows and talk to all of us uh, around the country and talk football. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's my fun time of the year, Bruce, because magazine deadline, we spent seven months putting this magazine together, a lot of long hours, a lot of deadlines. Football season, I'm watching 12 games every Saturday, work a lot of 100-hour work weeks. Now it's just my fun time. I get to talk football on the radio all day long. And before we get to do that, I got, I've got i been meaning to ask you, I'm, I can't remember if I asked you this last year or not, but it, it's even more prevalent now. How has the transfer portal changed the way you put this magazine together? Because you, know, you, you go around the country and all these magazines that are published in April and May, and by the time that people buy them in June and July and August, the, the rosters are nowhere near current. Now yours are likely going to change as well, but you'll have the most current rosters out there. because It's going to be the, the last thing you put together in these things, right? Yeah, it, it did change our, our timeline, Bruce. It used to be uh, we'd go to the press. and There was a, a thing in the, the magazine business when I started back in 1995. Uh, Joe Del Popolo of Game Plan Magazine told me, he said, Phil, you got to be the first magazine, first football magazine out there. Everybody buys it. Then they'll buy the second, they'll buy the third, and then they're out of money. That's the key to the magazine business. Well, the good thing is my magazine's so established, people wait around for it. So I was seeing magazines hit the newsstands late May, early June, which means they had to go to the press before the portal even closed. But the portal closed on May 15th this year, and what we did is we gave it three full weeks, all the way till June 7th we didn't go to press. So I was able to capture all those moves. I think capture about 97% of all the transfer portal moves that happened since the portal closed on May 15th. And all the coaches, I talked to 123 of the 133 head coaches. They had my cell phone number. I said, text me, call me if you get any changes. I was getting texts on June 6th, and we're making changes to pages, adding players that uh, just signed. So makes it a lot more hectic, those final three weeks of the magazine, but well worth it. Like I said, I think we've captured about 97% of the portal changes. That's pretty impressive. Phil Steele, our guest this morning. Phil Steele's college football preview is available now at Barnes & Noble or at philsteele.com. You get the digital version, all that bit as well. All right, let's talk Big Ten. So I, I told you off air, I, I go, I buy this thing at Barnes & Noble every year, I, and I get in the car, my wife is driving, she can vouch that this happened. The first thing I did when I got in the car was I opened the I opened the magazine up, I found the Big Ten, and I looked where you got my Badgers, and I, I may have yelled something because I did not expect <laughs> that you'd have them first in the Big Ten West. You have them first in the Big Ten West. Uh, the media has picked the Badgers to win that division for a fourth straight year. Phil, you were the first one I saw that has them there. Why'd you put the Badgers in the top spot? 
You know, it's interesting, Bruce, too, the way I went about it. Uh, I write the magazine in a three-write-through process, and the first write-through is uh, my postseason write-through. I've watched the games, I've lived them, and then I, I go through and I, I do each position. I read every story that was written about the team during the year, get into all the ebbs and flows, and uh, then I write each of the positions. And after that first write-through, I was concerned about Wisconsin because they're bringing in Phil Longo, a passing offensive coordinator from North Carolina, and I thought, you know, Wisconsin wins their games in November because of that big offensive line and their run game. I don't like the fact they're shifting to a, a pass offense, but after talking to Coach Fickle and going over the team with them in depth, he's not abandoning the run. In fact, he feels that last year teams were able to stack eight, nine players in the box to stop the run. Heck, they haven't averaged over five yards per carry the last three years. He feels that the pass game, and they added uh, Tanner Mordecai from SMU coming in, will open up holes and give them more space to run in, and they will get above that five yards per carry this year, and I expect that with Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi both, plus that veteran offensive line. Now, last year, Wisconsin was extremely inexperienced. Number 107, my experience chart. This year, they're all the way up to number 20. As an example, on defense, three starters back last year, eight starters back this year. And then you factor in the schedule. Washington State, Purdue, Illinois, Indiana, and Minnesota. Minnesota being the toughest road game, but all fall in the winnable category. The toughest two opponents are Iowa and Ohio State. They get them both at home, and they catch Ohio State the week after the Buckeyes play Penn State in a massive game. So add it all up. I've got Wisconsin, my number one surprise team in the country, which is a non-top-10 team that I think actually has a shot of making the playoff much like a TCU did last year. I was going to ask you that later, and we'll get to that later on. So maybe, maybe some teams that, that maybe fly under the radar that you think may have a chance to be. Not that we have to have a TCU every year because we don't, but it's nice to have them, kind of that, that TCU team that comes out of nowhere to make the playoff. A fun fact about Phil Longo is he was an offensive coordinator up here at UMD, actually, Division II, uh, about uh, oh, close to 20 years ago now, like 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. And the offense they ran here, Phil, <laughs> that was pass first. And, oh, there's a run game? We can do that? They threw the ball all the time. At least from what I've seen when, when Phil was at Ole Miss in, in North Carolina, I looked back when he was at Sam Houston State as well. You know, it seems like he's more willing to to play to the personnel that they have. You know, North Carolina last year wasn't very balanced because they just didn't have the running game to be balanced. But Drake May was tremendous throwing the ball. But the year before that was Sam Howell. They were much more balanced offensively. I'm hoping that that's what we get here. Either way, how weird is it going to be for you? You've watched college football all this time to see Wisconsin almost a kind of a, going to that spread offense and, and maybe throwing the ball more than they have in a long time. Yeah, it's definitely going to be different. But once again, you know, talking to Coach Fickle and going over the squad with them, they are not abandoning the run game, which was – and he's had 1,000-yard rushers at Cincinnati, naturally, lots of them. Uh, and he's going to, they're going to adapt the offense to fit the strengths. And if you look at the strengths of Wisconsin, look at that big offensive line. Look at Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi. You, you don't forget about those guys. And, and I got assurances from Coach Fickle they won't. But it'll be different seeing them throw the, throw the football more, that's for sure. Uh, Phil, you've got Iowa second in the West and Minnesota third, which is exactly how the media has the actually Minnesota tied with Illinois for third in, in the Big Ten West. Let's talk briefly about the Hawkeyes, and we'll move on to the Gophers. 
Uh, Iowa was offensively one of the worst teams in, in the FCS, uh, the FBS last season, I should say. They they couldn't throw the ball consistently. They couldn't run the ball consistently. They averaged under twenty points a game. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? But it does appear <laughs> that they have bolstered things. They made a real effort here in the off season to get better on the offensive side of the ball. Yes, and that that to me was the biggest thing. And and here's a true story. You told me about your car thing, which I appreciate. Uh, I was watching the, the portal, and all of a sudden, Cade McNamara's name <laughs> popped up. And within five seconds of Cade McNamara's name popping up. I said, go to Iowa, and then boom, he ends up at Iowa, which I think is the perfect fit. He's a game manager type, but one with experience that's a very capable passer. He brings his tight end with him, and Eric Hall, which I think is big. If you know Iowa, you know they have great tight ends. He teamed with Lachey, give them that. They've got the running backs. The offensive line is now a veteran group. And people say, you can't win with Iowa's offense. You can't produce. Well, just two years ago, back in 2020, they averaged 31.8 points per game. So, yes, they can. And they have a top-notch defense with Phil Parker, one of the best defenses in the country. They also have my number two rated special teams in the country. So the defensive special teams still strong. The offense much improved this year. And I originally, like I said, in the first write-through process was leading with Iowa. That's before I looked at the schedule. They do have to play Wisconsin and Penn State, both on the road this year. That had me picking them second. But they're a team that's a bona fide contender with a vastly improved offense. Uh, Minnesota, we have Mike Grimm, the voice of the Gophers, on with us on Tuesday before Big Ten Football Media Days in Indianapolis. You can podcast that at kdal610.com if you missed it. You talk about being different and having a different look this year. The the offense might look the same, Phil, but after what felt like a decade of Tanner Morgan and Mo Ibrahim in that offensive backfield, they're both gone. Ethan Kaliak-Manis got some starts at the end of last season. He had the great game against Wisconsin and Madison to help the Gophers keep the axe. He's a guy they're going to count on for a lot under center this year. Uh, kind of a, a newfangled receiver core. They do get Chris Ottman Bell back for a seventh year, but uh, new backfield, new receivers. This is a, a bit of a different Gophers team personnel-wise, but they got a chance to be really good too, don't they? Yeah, they do. And, you know, they, they lose three starting offensive linemen as well, which is a concern. But uh, as we've seen, they're able to replace offensive linemen like last year when the O-line produced well. They're able to replace running backs. Remember two years ago, they got down to their six-string running back, and he's putting up 100-yard games. Yeah. And they, they bring in a Sean Tyler from Western Michigan, which is a nice piece, a very capable uh, running back. They bring in Corey Crooms as a wide receiver from Western Michigan. Elijah Spencer from Charlotte. And I liked what I saw from Kaliak Menis down the stretch last year, especially the Wisconsin game. I think there could be an improved quarterback play over last year. And, and there almost has to be. Last year they had 12 touchdown passes, 9 interceptions. I think Kaliak Menis uh, produces more than that. Defensively, they still have uh, Joe Rossi as the defense coordinator. I think he gets the most out of the talent on hand. Once again, dipping into that Western Michigan portal, they bring in Ryan Seelig, who had 73 tackles last year. They go to Georgia Southern to bring in Tyler Bride, uh, which helps supplement the defense. Now, the schedule does get tougher this year. They did not play Ohio State or Michigan last year. Both of them pop up on the schedule this year. They also have to play Iowa on the road, and I think that Wisconsin game at the end of the year will be tough. North Carolina will be tough. I don't see a match in last year's nine-win total, but it should be yet another successful year for the Golden Gophers. I do expect them to make a bowl game, and let's see if they can keep that streak of winning four straight bowl games and turn it into five this year. Uh, Brett Bielema is at Illinois. He's established himself there. A good, uh, good second year. They won eight games last 
last year. You've got them tied for third in the Big Ten West with Minnesota. But everybody else in the West Division has new coaches. Matt Rule at Nebraska, Ryan Walters at Purdue, and, of course, everything that happened in Northwestern in recent weeks. David Braun is taking over as the interim head coach for the Wildcats. Your thoughts on just the those three teams in particular with first-year head coaches and, and all the, the controversy at Northwestern. It's going to be a tough road to hold for the Wildcats. And you had Purdue in a rebuilding year as well this year. Yeah, and I think of the three first-year head coaches, Matt Rule clearly has the best success. A huge upgrade, in my mind, at the coaching position for Nebraska. And when you look at the talent he's inheriting, uh, he has enough talent to win with. Brings in a Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech, Billy Kemp uh, at quarterback, uh, Billy Kemp at wide receiver from Virginia, and numerous other players on the defense. The schedule sets up well. That was enough for them to make my most improved list, which means I think they go from all those losing seasons in a row. I mean, they haven't had winning seasons since 2016. Oof. They have one this year. They get to a bowl game. It's hard to believe with Nebraska. Isn't yeah, it, it is. Uh, and then the Northwestern. I mean, and they still we don't still know how many players are going to leave because they still have time to leave the program. They've lost three guys so far, including their one of their top safeties. We'll see if more guys leave. I think it's going to be a mess at Northwestern this year. And then Purdue, I, I do think, is going to go through a rebuilding year. They lose a lot of talent from last year. They lose their head coach, uh, and I think it's yeah. So of the of the newcomers, I think Nebraska has the best success. And as, far as Illinois goes, I thought they were the best team in the West last year. They just blew it at the end with those uh, losses to Michigan State and Purdue, and then they almost beat Michigan. Came up a field goal short. Bielema is doing a good job building them. I don't think they're quite as good as last year, but what I like about them is they got two NFL guys on the defensive line in Newton and Randolph, and two NFL guys on the offensive line in Adams and Pearl. I think Altmaier does well at QB. I do think Illinois is a player in the West this year. Phil Steele, Phil Steele's College Football Preview. Our guest, we're talking Big Ten football. Uh, you've got Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, one, two, three in the Big Ten East. The media agrees with you in the, the preseason poll that came out this week. Could, could quickly break down that, that Big Ten East race with Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, would you? Yeah, and my initial reaction, I have Penn State, or I have Ohio State number two in my power poll in the front of the magazine, which is the second most talented team in the country. I've got Michigan three and Penn State five. So my original reaction on that, Bruce, was I'm going to pick the team that gets the other two at home. That makes it easy. Guess what? Michigan has to play at Penn State. Penn State plays at Ohio State. Ohio State plays at Michigan. So much for that thought process. But I went on the overall schedule and the, and the talent. I think this is Jim Harbaugh's most talented team. I know he suspended the first four games, but those games really don't matter. And they're huge favorites in all of them. They'll win those games. Uh, but you look at the defense, they got seven starters back. Of all the top teams in the country, they're one of the few that returned their starting quarterback in J.J. McCarthy. Blake Corum is back at running back. The offensive line is always one of the best in the country. In fact, I'm on the Joe Moore Award Committee, and we've given Michigan the offensive line of the year each of the last two years. So they're a Michigan team who's got a soft non-conference schedule, road games that are all very winnable. The Penn State game is their biggest toss-up. With Ohio State, whereas I feel they're the second most talented team in the country, they have to play Notre Dame on the road. They play Wisconsin on the road the week after they play Penn State. And they play Michigan on the road. They lost two straight to. The schedule had me keeping them from uh, ranking them higher. And Penn State, if there's a year for James Franklin to break through, this is it. They have a loaded defense. All, all three units rank in my top four of the rankings. They've got Singleton and Allen at uh, running back. Alar coming in at QB. Uh, they have to play Ohio State on the road to get Michigan at home. And they also draw Iowa out of the West, which is tough. 
but I, I think they're a legitimate player. Tough to pick, but I went with Michigan. Uh, Phil, before we let you go, I mentioned the surprise teams. You've got Wisconsin, and you, you rank surprise teams every year in the magazine. You've got Wisconsin, as you mentioned, as your number one surprise team. Anybody else that strikes you as maybe a team that could be a TCU, a major conference team that nobody sees right now as a candidate for the college football playoff making it? Yeah, how about a team that had a losing record last year? Do you think that would be a big surprise? I would think that might be, yeah. I'm going to go with Texas A&M and uh, Jimbo Fisher. And, you know, here's the amazing thing about this, Bruce, with Texas A&M. Last year, they were just 5-7. and seven, And you know that they recruit the same way that Alabama does and that Ohio State does. They're always in the top recruiting classes. But they were just 5-7 and seven last year. But in that 5-7 and seven year, they beat LSU 38-23. to And they went into Alabama, and they only lost uh, by four. They were at the two-yard line at the end of the game with a chance to win, thrown into the end zone. Now, when I went over the team with Coach Jimbo Fisher last year, they were number 124 in my experience chart. And he wrapped up a lot of positions the same way, like he did the offensive line. He said, Phil, we're going to have one of the best offensive lines in the country next year. Well, guess what? It's next year for A&M. And they move all the way up to number 14 on my experience chart. I did an interesting article uh, on philsteel.com about the, the difference in experience chart and how those teams improve. You're going to see that with A&M this year. Ten starters back on offense, ten on defense. They lost their top wide receiver, Anaya Smith, after four weeks last year. He's back. They used three different starting quarterbacks due to the injury. Connor Wegman is back. All three guys are back, actually. And defensively, an offensive line suffered injuries. They're all back. They get Alex Alabama at home. It wouldn't surprise me if Texas A&M actually won the brutal SEC West, uh, topping both Alabama and LSU, two teams that they could easily have beaten last year and beat one of them. One more. One of the reasons that Luke Fickle is at Wisconsin is because two years ago he led Cincinnati out of basically nowhere to the college football playoff out of the American Athletic Conference. Last year, I think we are all uh, our hearts were warm seeing Tulane do what they did, and then they upset USC in the Cotton Bowl as the AAC champions. Is there a team not in a power conference, Phil, that you think can make a run at the playoff in 2023? Not this year, Bruce. I, I don't think there is. But uh, the one team maybe that uh, stands out the most has the best chance might be Toledo. Uh, Toledo last year lost a couple of late games after they had already clinched the MAC title or MAC division, I should say. Uh, and now they're healthy. They got everybody back. To Quan Finn's one of the more underrated guys out there, and they've got a great schedule too. They open up with Illinois, and if they're going to pull an upset, Illinois. You look at the rest of their schedule, they could be favored in all the remaining 11 games. So it's a Toledo team that I think has a shot at the best record for the group of five teams, and that would give them a shot at uh, being that darling. And having a victory over Illinois wouldn't be a nice feather under their cap as well. Phil, tell people where you can get the magazine, and you've got your FCS magazine available digitally as well. Yeah, I appreciate that, Bruce. The uh, the magazine's available exclusively this year at Barnes & Noble. So I know in years past we've been Walmart, grocery stores, all those places, but it's Barnes & Noble exclusively. Don't waste your gas money. They're great uh, partners with us. And so go to Barnes & Noble and pick up the magazine or go to philsteel.com. And when you go to philsteel.com, we give you the hard copy. And I'm going to charge you shipping. It costs money to ship. But I give you the digital magazine for free so you can check all the updates. As an example, the Northwestern page, we have David Braun listed as the uh, head coach of Northwestern in the digital magazine. So that's philsteel.com for that. And then you touched on it, Bruce. If you want full coverage on North Dakota State, South Dakota State, any of the FCS teams, we give you, for the first time ever, two full pages on every FCS 
FCS team is available right now. Just go to philsteel.com, hit the digital magazines, and get the, the uh, FCS version. It's available right now. Phil, appreciate it as always. Enjoy. Hey, Bruce, thanks for having me on all these years. I always look forward to our conversations, my friend. You got it. Phil Steele. Phil Steele's college football preview available now. Barnes & Noble, philsteele.com. Always a pleasure to have him on the radio every summer talking about college football. 1032, more to come. Bruce Siski Show on a Thursday morning. Through some headlines as we continue. 610-103.9 KDAL. Your Twin Ports home for Twins baseball. In the corner. Goal! KDAL. Coming up, we'll check some headlines. Got some news to report. We'll do all of that. As this Thursday morning edition continues, Bruce Siski Show. CBS News coming up next, 1037 our time. We're on late on KDAL. The Bruce Siski Show. Do not give these guys too much respect. They didn't pull a dog sled, did they? No. no. Didn't skate the river, did they? No. 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 That's still black ice. This is our pond. On 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL. Ten forty-two. As we continue Thursday morning tomorrow, Chris Long, KSTP Twin Cities, will get some impressions on the first couple of days of Vikings training camp, which continues today at TCO Center in Egan. That'll be on the radio show tomorrow. Also, we will hear uh, more on what's coming up this weekend. We'll talk some baseball. Get you set for the weekend series with the Twins and Brewers and a whole lot more. Vikings camp is it's a little weird, and we haven't so. We haven't chatted since the players reported because I didn't have a show yesterday. But the big headline yesterday, I think, out of uh, reporting day was that Daniil Hunter showed up. Normally, that would not have happened. There's no question Hunter's not happy with his contract. He and his camp have made that abundantly clear here in in, in the run-up to training camp, right? So the issue is not that he's suddenly happy with his contract. It doesn't sound like the Vikings have given a whole lot of assurances of anything here. But Hunter reported because of the new CBA. So back in the day, and we're talking by back in the day, I mean like three or four years ago before this new CBA went into effect, players would hold out and they'd skip time in training camp and they would eventually, you know, new contract or – a trait, something would happen. More often than not, the contract gets redone in the player reports. And as part of that whole bit, the team agrees to waive the daily fine for missing training camp, which is $50,000. And you, know, you miss 10, 12 days of training camp, all of a sudden you're going to owe your team you know, more than a half million dollars. And now, with the new CBA, that has been changed. It is now mandatory that players be fined $50,000 a day for missing training camp under any circumstances, unexcused. So Hunter showed up because he didn't want to get fined fifty grand a day, and the team has to fine him. There's no mechanism like there used to be for the team saying, I would just wave it. Thanks for showing up. We're going to wave it. No, not anymore. So Hunter showed up, but the Vikings have made it clear, both through their words on Tuesday and the fact that he didn't practice yesterday, that Daniil Hunter is not going to be on the practice field until this is uh, this whole situation is resolved. And that's fine. Like, I get it. 
the Vikings, from from their standpoint, even trying to read between the lines, it's hard to get a read on whether or not the Vikings want to trade Hunter or get a contract done. Like the, I, I don't know what they're thinking. We had Matthew Caller, Purple Insider, last week. He thinks they're going to try to get a contract done. We'll talk to Chris about it tomorrow and get his ideas and what he thinks is going to happen here. But I, I don't know. And if the ultimate if the ultimate end game here is that Daniil Hunter is going to play for somebody else in 2023, the last thing the Vikings want to do is put him on the practice field right now. All that that does is open the door for the potential of him getting hurt and napalming any kind of trade that could happen. And given that Hunter has suffered serious season-altering or, in one case, season-ending injuries two of the last three years, I completely understand why the Vikings would want to keep Daniel Hunter off the practice field until this is all resolved, which it will be at some point. Whether it's a trade or a contract extension, it is going to get done at some point in time. We'll get Chris Long on tomorrow to talk about that. Other impressions from the first couple of days of Minnesota Vikings training camp at TCO Center in Egan. Uh, Twins and Brewers both have the day off today. They're both still in first place. The Twins, though, I'm not going to call this pitching staff leaky. I I think that your body of work is a little more indicative at this point of what the Twins have for a pitching staff. And the fact that they got roughed up a couple of days in a row by the Seattle Mariners is just something that happens over the course of a season, right? The Twins scored seven runs each of the last two games. If you told, you're going to tell me the Twins are scoring seven runs, they're going to win that game 90% of the time. They've lost two of them in a row. It's just what happens sometimes in baseball. 8-7 final yesterday. Joe Ryan struggling a bit. And I didn't, I didn't watch yesterday's game, but it seems to me... Like, Joe Ryan struggles a bit when he has to throw the fastball more than he wants to. And maybe that's a an issue where he's just not – he does not have the control, the feel for his secondary pitches that he wants to have, and he's maybe leaning a little bit on the fastball. But it feels like the last couple of starts for Ryan have not been very good – and I, I'm wondering if it comes down to pitch sequencing, pitch selection, things like that. I'm looking through some baseball savant numbers as we speak here. And actually he's been he's been hit harder in terms of the power with the fastball than the split finger. So maybe he's just not get doesn't have the feel for the split finger. It's all about the secondary stuff. We saw it with Freddie Peralta yesterday as well. Peralta got roughed up Friday by Atlanta because he did not he 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 couldn't trust anything but his fastball to throw up for strikes. Well, these are major league hitters. And they're going to figure that out. And Atlanta, as we cautioned on Friday, hits fastballs better than any team in baseball. So if all you've got all you have to throw against Atlanta is a fastball, you're probably going to be in trouble. And we saw it with Ryan when he started in Atlanta. He got roughed up early cuz they sat on his fastball. So it's something to watch with him and see how that develops. I'm not too worried. Joe Ryan's going to be very, very good for a very long time. Hopefully a lot of it spent pitching for the Twins. Uh, Day off today, two-game lead in the AL Central. They'll start a road trip in Kansas City tomorrow. 
Uh, 7 o'clock tomorrow, our coverage at 6.30. 6 o'clock on Saturday, coverage at 5.30. And then inside Twins at noon Sunday, ahead of the first pitch at 1 o'clock. Sonny Gray, Bailey Ober, Kenta Maeda, in that order this weekend for the Twins. The Brewers are in Atlanta. Atlanta 64-36, and 36, also idle today, as is most of baseball as I look here at the schedule. 6.20 tomorrow, Adrian Hauser. 6.20 on Saturday, Julio Tehran. 12.30 on Sunday, Colin Ray. So the good news for the Brewers is they don't face Spencer Strider, the standout right-hander for Atlanta, who threw yesterday in Boston. And Boston had a rally late to win after Strider struck out a million Red Sox hitters or something like that. So we'll see if the Brewers... But the, the bad news for the Brewers is they don't have Corbin Burns pitching this weekend. So there you have it. Trade deadline is Tuesday. Twins dealt Jorge Lopez to Miami yesterday for right-handed reliever Dylan Floro. Straight one-for-one swap of right-handed relievers that maybe at this point could use a change of scenery. Floro's ancillary numbers this year have been good for Miami. The pitching metrics are good. So the Twins are optimistic he can make an impact in their bullpen. Lopez's numbers have just not been good since he joined the Twins. Maybe a change of scenery helps him out in Miami. Uh, Twins also have reinstated Byron Buxton from the paternity list that happened this morning. Trevor Larnick has been sent to AAA to make room on the active roster. All right, there you have it. Twins and Brewers updates. Some football talk on the radio show today. We'll come back, wrap it up in a moment. 10.50 our time. Bruce Siski Show, Thursday morning edition. Getting warm outside, 610, uh, 103.9 KDAL. Our American Stories. This is how you do it. Weeknights on KDAL. 10.59, warming up outside, plenty of sunshine. Enjoy it while you can. If you like the heat, otherwise, stay inside. That works too. Chris Long, KSTP, tomorrow. We talk Vikings training camp, set you up for the weekend as well. Brad's up next, sound off after the news. Have a great day.